Caring Life Builders Church in Rainbow. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that though we stumble and fall and we wander off, um, distracted by the things of this earth or caught up in our own thoughts, Lord, you love us so much you still want to give us good things despite our wanderings. I pray this morning, God, that you would you would give us good things. Holy Spirit, that you would plant seeds, that you would water the seeds that are already there, that you would show us more of the Father this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think I have mastered all the technologies. Do you have your... Do you have times where you feel like you're in the thick of it? I actually looked that up because it's a weird saying to me, in the thick of it. It doesn't sound, what does that even mean? And it means that you're in a battle normally. Something that's intense is what it means to be in the thick of it. Um, have you ever been in circumstances that you're not even sure kind of how you arrived there, how you got there? And then when you got there, you really wish that you weren't there. You sometimes feel as though you're that guy in the middle of the battlefield, the one that's worn out and lowers his sword and just kind of looks around. In the movies, that kind of scene goes quiet, doesn't it? All the noise of the battle dies away and you hear melancholy music in the background and everything goes into slow motion around him. All the chaos kind of goes in slow motion. Those scenes always highlight a feeling of weariness, don't they? A situation of overwhelming odds. How do we get into these kinds of scenarios? How many steps did we take to end up there? And at what point did we choose to walk that path, if we got to choose? How did that happen? It's the path that interests me. The path and how I came to be on the path and how I got to the place I am now is a lot more interesting to me than just my current circumstances. If I can make sense of the path that I've walked, then I can make a lot more sense of the purpose for where I am right now. And I can, if I can understand my situation with a perspective that takes into account my entire path from where I started to where I'm going, and I can view my entire journey, then my current circumstances are seen with that perspective. So to dig into the Bible a little bit, I thought it would be good to look at a few people that probably have found themselves in those kind of situations or circumstances that I think were probably a very, very long way from anything that they expected. So the first one. Uh, I definitely turned it on. I turned it off. Aha. Uh -huh. Thank you. Flick the switch the right way. Okay, First Samuel chapter 17, 17 to 19. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers are with, were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So here we have David, don't we? Everyone knows the story of David, right? You've read that, heard that preached on a thousand times. 
We know that David was the youngest of eight boys in his family. It doesn't mention daughters, but there was probably some of those as well. But he was the youngest of eight boys in his family. The oldest three were in the army. And if you read through numbers, you find out that you could only be in the army if you were 20 or older. So if you do some basic maths, at most, David was 15 years old, at most, if there was a boy born every single year. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty serious. Eight boys, one at a time every single year. Don't know if I'd like to be in that family. <laughs> and he is tasked by his dad to take some food out to his brothers that are in the army and also to bring back some intel for him about how they are going. Sounds like the simple life, doesn't it? Sounds like he didn't have too many things to worry about. But if we keep reading, if we skip a bit, we find David here in front of King Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. So if we think of this thing of just looking at current circumstances and right in the moment, this is getting a little bit out there, I think, um, for David, who is a shepherd boy. Um, we just read how he's carrying grain and bread to his brothers. And now, while well, he's now he seems to have a real serious lack of respect for royal protocol. <clears throat> and he probably thinks a little bit too highly of himself, doesn't he? Can you imagine being a 15-year-old shepherd boy and telling a king in charge of a trained army, don't worry, I've got this. What happened to David the shepherd boy? Where did that guy go? And if we jump forward a little bit more, to verses 57 and 58, as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. Abner, you'll remember, is the commander of the entire army, the whole lot. And he brought David back to Saul, King Saul. And David is still hanging on to Goliath's head, which is, I find that fascinating. And Saul had nothing to say, which I also find fascinating about David's exploits or what he did. He only asked about his father, his lineage, where he comes from, because he must be great if he's done something like this, I think is how Saul was thinking. <clears throat> but you have to admit, it's a pretty long way from looking after sheep in a paddock and ferrying food back and forwards to your brothers. When David went to face Goliath, he was certain that God would come through, wasn't he? Because Goliath was defying God and the armies of the living God. So David was certain that God would take out his enemies. We look around us at times and wonder how on earth we got ourselves into a certain situation. And I wonder if David paused and thought to himself, what on earth am I doing here? Did he blurt out in youthful ignorance, ignorance, arrogance, sorry, that's a combination of a couple of words there. Did he blurt out in youthful arrogance, I can take, I can take Goliath down, and then walk out away from Saul going, what on earth did I just do? Why, why did I say that? How am I going to do this? Why did I sign up for this? We read about David's life, and I think it's really, really obvious to us that God had a plan for him, isn't it, when you read his life, that God had him on a journey with a purpose. It's obvious. We read the story and we see God's hand on his life. 
we see God lead him through situations, shaping him, and we can see his life story through a lens that allows us to make sense of it all. It's much easier if we can read the full story, isn't it? We can probably read David's entire story in the Bible in a day, a lot less if you read really quick, probably a bit more if you read really slow. But some of the things we gloss over, it only takes us a few minutes to read some aspects of his life that were literally years and years and years for David to live through. And to him, it wasn't concise at all. It wasn't clear because it was so drawn out. What about your life? Have you ever considered that your life could be considered a story for someone to read? And then if they could read your story, even up to this point in time, would they see an overall picture or a theme? Would they see God's hand on your life or a clear path that is plainly obvious to them? But to you guys sitting here and to me, the path is not so clear because it's taken time to get here. I thought many times before that if someone was reading about my life, (laughs) they would probably shake their heads repeatedly and say to themselves, what on earth is he thinking? Why would he choose that? What an idiot. Can't he see what he's supposed to do? That's how I think about myself. Largely not how other people see me. (laughs) There's probably a few people like that. It's a bit like watching a game of football, isn't it? There's a lady at work that she's one of these people that when she watches football, she has to steer the person down the field from her couch. She has to lean, has to lean forward, back, shout things out. She's really, she's, she's there. She is that person. And it's like we can see what those guys need to do because the camera angle is high. We can see where all the other players are on the other team. We can see the gap. We can see which way they're running. And we're willing this guy with the ball to go and do a certain thing. But the guy with the ball can't see what we can see, can he? He's on the field at ground level and he can only see as high as he is tall. He can't see where everything is all at one time. So all the players on the field do the best with what they are trained to do, don't they? With what they can see up front in the spur of the moment, they make a decision based on what they can see and how they've been trained and what the answer is in this situation. That's what they do. What about your life right now? Can you look at your life and see a bigger picture even though you're on the ground level? Can you see a path you're on? When I was about 15, I wasn't a shepherd. (laughs) I can clearly remember having Christmas with my mum's side of the family down in Newcastle. And um, I can remember my uncles and aunties and cousins and things being there and my grandma. Um, And I can remember the presents being handed out. And no doubt I had other presents, but I I remember one present very, very clearly. When I opened it, it was a three-pound hammer. And I I was 15. And I looked at it. It's one of those moments where you prob- I probably paused too long that it betrayed my ungratefulness. <laughs> what would I do with a three-pound hammer? I, I had no, I could not think of anything that I could use a three-pound hammer for. And I, my uncle who gave it to me, I thought, why on earth would he give me this? Because he's a bit of a, he likes jokes, my, that uncle. I couldn't think of anything that I could use that hammer for at all. I thought that that is just useless to me. I don't know why he's given that to me. But now I still have that hammer. And now I can guarantee that I've used that many, many, many times as a hammer and for several things it wasn't designed for either. As all good tools are. (laughs) 
It was given to me by uncle because he knew that I would use it. Maybe not the next day, Christmas, Boxing Day. Might need it if you go to the shops on Boxing Day, but I had no use for it for years and years and years. But he knew that at some point I would use that hammer. He might not know what I would use it for or when, even though he had, might have had some idea, but he knew that eventually I would use that hammer. And he was right. And David, the shepherd boy, I think was probably not that much different. When he saved the flock of sheep from a bear, did he have any idea that his faith was being grown? That he would need that faith to stand tall for God in front of Goliath and eventually become king of Israel? I don't think there's any way he had any idea of where he was heading as he did those things when he was shepherding the sheep. How could he have known that? But his father knew, didn't he? God knew. And eventually the time came where multiple things from years gone by all added up and became useful. Like my three-pound hammer, eventually it became useful. And I ask you again, what is the bigger picture for your life? What things in your past has God led you through so that you are where you are now and who you are now? What are those things for? How will God use them? Or do you write them up as only current events or circumstances, one that was fun or maybe one that was a rough patch in your life and you isolate them from each other? He's talking about rough patches. What about Job or Job if you're American? <laughs> do you know his story? We read... Verses 1 to 3, this is who Job is at the start. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. <laughs> he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Now, if we read just that and only that in Job, sounds like a guy we'd probably like to make friends with. He had a lot of stuff, didn't he? And to me, I think he probably hung out in circles that were a bit out of my league, to be honest. That's the very, very elite, wealthy kind of person, isn't he? But Job did go through a rough patch. And by rough patch, I mean he lost literally everything in one day, didn't he? He went from having everything to having nothing. All his possessions were stolen, killed, burnt or destroyed. Even all his children were killed when their house fell on them. And then a little while later, his health was taken from him and his wife left him as well. He had boils all over him, so much so that he scraped his skin with a broken piece of pottery. That's not nice to picture. <laughs> if you're a visual person. It's a bit ill. And it was at that point when he's sitting there in ashes, scraping his skin, that his three friends showed up to support him in his troubles. And when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was far too great for words. Can you remember a time 
where you've sat with someone or gone to see someone because they're hurting. They've got something going on in their life. And when you get there, you have these in the car, you're driving there, stressing over what on earth you can say that will make them feel better. But when you get there, you can't say anything. You just sit there, silent, because there's nothing you can say that will make them feel better. So you just sit there and you be present with that person in silence without saying a word. Job and his friends did that for seven whole days. That's quite a long time to sit there all day, every day for seven days, not saying a word. It really highlights to me Job's position at that point. Seriously bad place to be, isn't it? If you put yourself in Job's shoes, what was he thinking? What was he feeling? What aspirations did he have in that place? Every single asset you own, burned or destroyed or taken. Almost every single one of your employees killed off. Your children died and your house falling down. Your wife left you. Your entire body is covered with painful boils and not one, not one single thing in that makes any sense from the day before. Nothing led up to that. It just all happened. What thoughts go through your mind? Praise God. Thank you, God, for leading me through this. Thank you, God, that this is part of your plan for me. Job's first words when he starts to speak start with cursing the day he was born. And looking at our overall path and looking at Job, which again we can read relatively quickly, did he ever consider what was in store for him? Could he possibly have ever known the blessings that God would bring through that time? I don't think he had any idea what was happening to him or why. Most of the book of Job is about Job being in the middle in that place that's between the start and the end, the place that sometimes doesn't make a whole lot of sense and doesn't seem to line up with where we started or the light at the end of the tunnel that we can see. He was in the middle just as David was in the middle when he faced Goliath and for many, many years after that as well, just as we are in the middle right here, right now. And I would bet Job never, ever, ever thought that God would directly speak to him and ask him to answer questions. Pop quiz from God. This would be something most of us are probably not keen for. <laughs> then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Can you imagine? I try to imagine that. I, <laughs> I would have no words. What do you say to that? And if I think of Job, who at this point still feels so cast aside, cursed, trodden on, and now God is putting him in his place all over again. You know, it's not, God is not lifting him up and saying, it's okay, Job, it's going to be all right. You're a good guy. I'll bless you. It's okay. God still continues to make sure that Job's spot, place on earth is lower than God. 
Because what does Job know? He, doesn't, he definitely wasn't there when God laid the foundations of the earth. But God knows. God knew. And like Job, I think we search for reasons, don't we? We want to understand. I always want to understand things. It's a problem because I get caught in thinking of trying to understand it when I really can't understand it. How did the sun get made? How, how did that happen? You can't. I don't know. There's some things I just can't know. We like laying blame. We like to try and search for the root cause of things. We want to understand what's happening, but we just can't because we just don't know. But God knows, and God knows the plan he has for you. And in the end, we know that Job was really blessed, wasn't he, by God? We read the end of Job. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. Job was blessed for his faithfulness to God. David was blessed because his heart loved God. Faithfulness and love for God, no matter what the circumstances are, without knowing the end, without knowing the reasons for the things that happen in the middle. And if you step back and you look at your life and change the camera angle like at the football so you can see the whole field from the start to the try line, if we're talking the same football, <laughs> do you see God's hand on your life through the good and the bad? But all of this is not only about the path that we're on for me. There's something else that perhaps less people consider. A lot of people take time to reflect on their path and the steps they've taken and the steps they will take in the future where God has led them and where the, that he is going to take them. But have you ever thought about who you believe God to be? Who is God to you? What is he like? Do you know him? And how do you know him? When God says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, what does that mean? When I was little, early primary school age, I had this fear when my parents were driving our van with all those kids in it. I had this fear if we went over an old wooden bridge that it would collapse and we'd all plunge to our depths. Pretty irrational fear, but nonetheless, if we were driving somewhere and there was a wooden bridge coming up, I would fear that that thing would break because it looked like it was going to break and that we'd all die. And I remember quite distinctly driving up somewhere like Mullaney or Springbrook, I don't know where now, but there, I can still picture in my mind a little wooden bridge that went around a slight curve and I remember being petrified that we had to go over. There's no other way around. You, you can't go up and over. Um, we had to go across that bridge and I remember being really, really terrified of that. <clears throat> and I don't think the bridge was probably anywhere near as bad as what I remember it. When you're scared of things, they take on a something bigger than what they are, don't they? And I think the bridge probably looks a lot more run down in my mind than it actually was. But do I still have the same fear today? No, I don't. I don't drive across a wooden bridge and fear for my life anymore because now I have a better understanding, a better knowledge 
I have more rational thinking most of the time that comes from knowledge and understanding and experience. Did you seek God when you were a little child, early primary school, and did you find him and what was he like? Did you seek God when you were a teenager and did you find him and what was he like? Did you seek God in your young adult years? Did you find him and what was he like? In each season of life, we have opportunity to find God, don't we? To seek him with all of our hearts. And when God says we will find him, it doesn't mean that once we find him, it's our turn to go and hide, like a game of hide and seek. Finding him means to see him, doesn't it? To know him, to connect with him, to join with him. But when you're a little child, when you're six or seven, finding him means something different, doesn't it? To what it will mean now. And just like my fear of bridges going away, wooden bridges, with more understanding and more experience, we can know God in different ways than when we were six or seven because we understand more and we've experienced more. And I think we can get caught up in doctrines or we can get caught up in intricacies of individual words in the Bible. We can get caught up in just our experiences and our circumstances and we can start to expect God to only be as big as what our circumstances or our knowledge have become and no more. If we get stuck looking at only our current circumstances, we don't really start to see God as bigger than that, do we? We don't try to gain a bigger perspective. God starts to become limited to our circumstances within our minds and then also our hearts. What if Job had given up on God in the midst of his suffering? Job's belief would have been stuck in that place. What about if David had shied away from going to meet Goliath in battle? David's belief of what God could do would be limited to him being shying away from that. He wouldn't have had that victory. God is much bigger. Oops, sorry, back towards where am I? There. God is much bigger than who we believe him to be when we're seven, isn't he? God is much bigger than who we thought he was when we were 16. Even though we knew a lot more about him than when we were seven. And God is much, much bigger than what we experienced him, how we experienced him when we were 25 even though we knew still more about him. And today, here in this place, God is much, much bigger than how we perceive him, even now in our lives. Do you know him? We're in the middle, aren't we? Partway through a journey to be in heaven with God. Yeah, we have these expectations right now about who God is. And we try to box him up I guess in a way sometimes unintentionally and we limit him to our human understanding make him kind of black and white without any mysterious bits that are weird or uncomfortable or don't suit what we think do you think God could say to us today like he did to Job who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words if you look in the Bible how do you think Philip felt when he was teleported to preach the gospel to that Ethiopian? How did Paul feel when he saw Jesus and was blinded? And Paul had a belief in God already. You have to remember that. It wasn't 
wasn't that he didn't understand God. He had a great knowledge of the Bible, had a great, well, the first bits of the Bible, had a great knowledge of who God was from the history of Israel and how God worked. I can guarantee Paul wrestled a lot while he was blind because that would have thrown him for six, wouldn't it? All that he thought about God was turned on its head as soon as he saw Jesus. What about Peter walking on the water? What about the lady with a jar of oil that didn't run out? Did all these people believe that God would do that before they got there? Or did they learn who God was through those things as Peter stepped out of the boat? He probably, I'm not sure, maybe he did 100% believe. Maybe he was just so focused on Jesus. How did that work? The lady with the jar of oil that never ran out. I don't think she would ever have thought God would do that. But it happened, didn't it? It's a circumstance, an experience. And it's not all about the experiences. But if we don't have experiences of God working and moving, what do we know about him? What does Murray say all the time? Know, grow and go. It's the same, isn't it? Knowledge, understanding, experience. I think you could put those words in literally any order and they would still cycle around back to each other. On this earth, while we live here, God can still surprise us and show us more of himself in ways that we can't imagine. No matter how much we think we know about him, he is outside our human thinking, isn't he? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 to 10 say, We serve God whether people honour us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us impostors. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we have spiritual riches to give to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Paul, the Apostle Paul, lived these things, lived them. And Paul was faithful to God, wasn't he? He lived a life that was purely about glorifying God. And I think he probably knew God in ways that a lot of us don't know simply because we haven't lived the same life that he lived. He knew things. He grew and he went. And because he went, he knew more things. And then he grew and then he went again. The hardships he had, the troubles he had, the good things that he experienced, the adversaries he had to deal with, all of that was part of his path and his journey all part of his growth and how well that he knew God. We're in the middle. Yet somehow we view the middle as kind of all that's there. Right now, God is much bigger than you think he is. In another year, you will know him more if you seek him. If you don't grow or go with that knowledge that you gain, you'll know more about him but you won't know him any deeper. God knows exactly where you'll be in a year. He knows your path. He knows where you started and he knows where you'll finish. And he wants to lead you on that path. All that remains is for us to choose him, 
and to seek him with all of our hearts. And in that, we'll find him, won't we? He promises that we will find him and he is faithful to his promises. We can find him, even in the middle, even if your circumstances are not what you want them to be right now. You can still find God in the middle. All your experiences, if we can seek God in those, all point back to him and all help us understand who he is and know him. Pray for us. Heavenly Father, it's hard to comprehend God while we walk this earth and we go about doing the day-to-day things that we, we have to do. We have to go to work. We have to look after our children. We have to learn things at school or university. We have to meet with people. We have to eat and prepare food to eat. We have to go to the shops. We have to do these things, God, that are required in this earthly life. And God, sometimes things come across our path that we don't enjoy. Sometimes things come across our path that are full of joy. And each and every time, God, all those circumstances are intertwined by you so that we have opportunity to seek you and to find you and to know you, to really know you. God, I pray that you would help us to find you, to seek you. Give us a real desire, God, deep within our souls to seek you more than anything else. And God, I pray that we will change over this next year, the next two years, the next week. God, that we will change to know you more. God, reveal yourself to us, I pray. Help us to have a bigger perspective on our lives, God, so that we can see the path some of the path at least of what you have us on and god so that we can trust you to know what you have for us what is coming up father help us to do this so that we can glorify your name so that we can be people after your own heart thank you god that you are faithful to us always always faithful and always good thank you god for that i pray that you would help each of us to walk in that this week and that you would Comfort us in the times where we need comfort and that you would urge us on in the times where we feel a bit slack. God, push us to know you more, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. We pray you've enjoyed this message from Mike Waters Church in Rainbow. For more information about our church, please go to our website at www.lifebuilderschurch.org.au. Until next time, God bless.